So good to be with Michael Swain. He heads up the organization called Freedom of Religion South Africa. Michael, good morning, and thank you so much for chatting to us yet again. Well, good morning. Good morning, Jonathan, and always great to be with you and on your show. Thank you so much. So, Michael, there's been a number of interesting developments, and I think one of the things that if we look back at the year, as a religious community, as a community of faith, there are a lot of things that we need to be aware of. Would you take us through some of these, please? You know, one of the things that I've been really giving some thought to, Jonathan, is there's definitely a move towards the broadening of hate speech. And I, I think we've discussed on many occasions that the constitutional definition of hate speech is very narrow, uh, deliberately so. It's essentially the advocacy to hatred plus an incitement to violence. And that's on the grounds of, there are four basic grounds for that, which is, I think, gender, religion, uh, sex, and what have you. But it's a very limited and narrow definition of hate speech because the broader you define hate speech, the more you open up the definition, of course, the less freedom of speech you're actually left with. So a typical hate speech, which has been declared so by the Constitutional Court, was uh, Julius Manoma's declaration today, kill the farmer, kill the boar. Who do we want you to hate? Farmers. What do we want you to do to them? Kill them. So that's a pretty obvious thing. But then, of course, you get the Equality Act, known as Papuda as well, where that definition is broadened to include categories such as things that are could reasonably be you know, understood to be hurtful or harmful. And then, of course, you get this whole subjectivity in. But it's not just legislation that is basically narrowing down the limits of hate speech. I think it's also the fact that people themselves, particularly people of conservative values, particularly people with faith values, almost get sort of shamed. And if you're not shamed, you're going to get bludgeoned into conformity of speech. In other words, you will be silenced. And that is what is also called cancel culture, which is a kind of a censorship of speech uh, in and of itself. So I thought it might be helpful to just chat around that a little bit today and then to see maybe a couple of examples as to how it's actually applicable and is happening in the real world in the cases that we're dealing with. I think that is so important. And I think it's, again, going back to that thing of what I believe might not be what you believe. And how do we deal with that? And how do we move from being who we are and all the beliefs that we have moving forward in a nation like our beautiful nation? Yeah, and I think, you know, th th there seems to be, and I think, Broadly speaking, it's almost like a, a three-step process uh, that there's like a cancel culture strategy that really, I think, preys in some measure on the decency of people who are conservative. Because if, if you're basically a nice person, you're a decent and polite person, um, you don't like doing things which are offensive to people. And so generally speaking, if somebody says something to you in response to something that you said, like, well, I find that really offensive, or, you know, how can you be so offensive? That if you're a decent person, you typically don't want to be perceived in that way. And therefore, your tendency, of course, is that you'll actually be quiet, um, because you don't want to be offensive. And that's one way where immediately people who are perhaps of more conservative values uh, will be silenced, they'll almost be shamed into silence. But in fact, if you think about it a second time, it's actually not wrong to speak the truth in love, even if that truth might be hurtful to somebody. You know, there's the Bible scripture which says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Um, and very often you have to, you know, wound somebody in love by pointing out something that they might not otherwise see. We've all got blind spots. 
or maybe they're trying to ignore. And, you know, again, the one thing that the Constitution does not protect is, is you don't have a right to not be offended. You know, offences will come. Somebody's going to say something or do something which you will find offensive. And so, you know, step number one, unfortunately, is that people who are, you know, decent, nice people don't want to be offensive. And therefore, that's the mm-hmm. first step. They get almost self-censored in, into keeping quiet. Sure. Because I, I often have thought that, you know, the world would be a better place if we didn't get so offended so quickly and so easily. And that oftentimes the whole thing of offense and even secondhand offense uh, can be so unhelpful and take months, if not years, to get over, you know, some serious offenses. Twitter is almost the poster child of an internet platform where you see this sort of bludgeoning of people who have taken secondhand offense that really uh, will try and shut down people just simply for what they've said. And simply by stating your opinion, they're saying, that causes actual harm, actual emotional harm, because by so doing, you're attacking my human dignity. And of course, that is not something which is protected, or it should not be protected. Because as soon as you start to shut down free speech, as soon as you start to bring in this uh, almost a- attack on people for saying things that you don't like, it's like like a macro response aggression to what might be a microaggression. And we had a case, for example, um, some time ago now with Zizi Popai, who was at UCT, who made a statement on her Facebook page, which said, you know, we are um, legislating uh, immorality, you know, God help us. I mean, she was referring to the judgment that had legalized same-sex marriage in the US. But for that statement, she was literally uh, kicked out of the SRC, uh, her office was defaced, that she had literal threats of violence posted against her. Um, people were going after her bursary, trying to get that to be cancelled. So, you know, we can see that maybe the message isn't, look, if you do speak up, you will be attacked. But also it's a very salutary warning to people who might actually say something in the future. It's like, if you do, look out because we're going to come after you. So, you know, that is the second step. It's like we're going to make an example of somebody. Um, mm. And again, you know, I, I think we mentioned uh, Dr. Duval, who uh, was a presenter at the Western Cape Educational Department's um, meeting that they held on the guidelines for uh, sexual identity in schools, for example, mm. and, and, and particularly gender issues in schools. And simply mm. because he presented international accredited studies, which showed that the science on this matter is not 100% settled at all, um, he was immediately attacked. There were petitions raised. Uh, people went to UCT to say that they should consider not uh, sort of qualifying him after his four-year study. Uh, he was reported to the Medical Association of South Africa. They want to try and have him disbarred from ever being a psychiatrist. So again, even if he succeeds in fighting off those challenges, the message to people is you better not do it or you will suffer the same treatment. We will find a way of sanctioning you. It really is actually so, so bad because uh, then you start to live more in your head and you're thinking about what you're thinking about, but you never feel the freedom to speak out about it. Um, and, and so, you know, how do we move away from this? How do we move forward from this? Yeah, you know, and, and it is it is very difficult because, again, you know, one of the things that the Boss uh, owners are facing, uh, and, and you might recall that the Boss. Uh, is the wedding venue. And they were basically attacked uh, 
because they said that they were unable, because of their conscience and belief uh, in marriage being the Christian definition of marriage between a man and a woman, uh, to marry uh, people who are same-sex or to celebrate that marriage, more to the point, on their property. And, and, and here's an interesting statement from the lawsuit that was leveled against them by the same-sex couple. They said this, had the Boloftobos owners kept their opinions and belief to themselves, there would be no concern. The problem arises because they brought their opinions and belief into the public sphere. Now, let's be very clear. The Constitutional Court has ruled clearly and in law that you are not only allowed to believe what you believe in your heart and in your head, but you can express those beliefs, you can live out those beliefs, you can pass those beliefs on to your children. You cannot be shut up. You should not be shut up. But of course, again, the cancel culture doesn't respect that. And it simply just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. So what do we do as believers? What do we do as Christians? What do we do if, as people of faith? Well, I think the challenge that we face is that, you know, because we're the, the attempt is to silence us, the third step is, of course, that we actually don't just want you to be quiet. And if you won't be quiet, we'll come after you. But if you won't be quiet, we'll not only come after you, but we want to get to the point where you will say and you will do what we want you to do or you will be sanctioned. So, for example, in the Boloftobos case, the sanctions would be potentially, if they lose this case, a two million rand fine, and they would be basically then forced to celebrate uh, same-sex marriages on their property and use their business to that purpose. So what can we do? I think what we have to do is we have to stand firm, Jonathan. That's the only thing to do. It's a little bit like, you know, having done all stand, stand therefore. We cannot back down because this is going to keep coming. It does not get put off or pushed back simply because we acquiesce, because we remain silent, because we don't want to stand up and be counted. The more people say, no, I'm going to stand up for my rights. I'm going to stand up for my faith. I will defend my position as I believe it. That is a cornerstone of democracy. And I think we must not lose that freedom. You know, the libertarian position used to be, you know, I may disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. But unfortunately, all too quickly, we're getting to the place where it's say what I want you to say and how I want you to say it, or you will suffer the consequences. But I don't think that we must bow down to that. I think we must stand up. We must be counted. We must be strong in our faith. We must be ready to give an account for the hope that is within us. And I think that's the only way that we can face this thing down. We need to be bold and very courageous, even in a counterculture that is pushing back against the values that we might hold dear. We definitely have to. And to stay also relevant and be aware what is going on in the world around you, not just in our city, not in your community only, not just in the province, but also um, nationally and globally to be aware of that and then to encourage others to be aware of it as well. How do people connect with 4SA, Freedom of Religion South Africa? Well, the, the best way is obviously to get onto our website, uh, which is www.forsa.org.za. And there on the homepage, if you scroll to the bottom of the page, we're having a new website, by the way, hopefully early next year, which will be a lot more helpful. But sign up for our newsletter and then you can stay informed. Look at our website, uh, go to our Facebook page, Freedom of Religion SA. Stay informed, keep up to date. And we also do our best to give people the tools to participate in the democratic processes as well. For example, when bills come before Parliament and that type of thing. So, yeah, stay informed, uh, stay up to date and let's just hold the line. I think that's the best way of putting it.
That's a very good way of putting it. Michael Swain, Director at Freedom of Religion in South Africa, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you and the work that you guys are doing. And again, let's encourage one another to hold the line. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan. God bless.